Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. It's time for cookies and crime. Hey everyone, it's Karen T and welcome back to another episode of Cookies and Crime. We're going to be covering the case of Gypsy Rose Blanchard, which is a hot, hot topic right now. We are starting all the way at the beginning up until now, now that she's released and doing her own thing. But first, let's eat a cookie. I'm eating the fanciest of fancy cookies. I have a macaron, which is typically French, but this one is very Americanized because there is a whole brownie on the inside, which I'm so excited about. It's from Honey and Butter, I believe it's called, in the OC, California. This is a black velvet macaron, so I believe it's kind of like chocolate. But let's take a bite and find out. This thing is massive. Wow, oh my god. Best cookie on this podcast by far. It is so freaking good. 13 out of 10. The brownie alone on the inside is amazing. And the whole texture together, it's so soft yet crunchy. Ugh, I'm so sad it's so small. If you're ever at the Irvine Spectrum in OC, California, go to Honey and Butter. This is not sponsored. Their macarons are so good. All right, I got my sugar rush going. So let's jump right into this case. Dee Dee Blanchard was born in 1967 as Claudine Petrie in Chack Bay, Louisiana. She grew up with her family in nearby Golden Meadow. She was one of five children. Dee Dee, from the get-go, didn't have the best reputation. Relatives remembered Dee Dee as somewhat of a klepto. She would steal from her family all the time, which they believe was a form of retaliation when things didn't go her way. Later on in her adult life, she worked as a nurse's aide. When she was 24, she became pregnant by Rod Blanchard. At that time, he was 17. Dee Dee seemed to be really in love with Rod, so much that she went to the library to borrow a book called How to Get Pregnant. We know this because the librarian was Rod's mother. Soon after that, Dee Dee became pregnant. At some point, they get married. I'm not sure if it was before she got pregnant or afterwards, but even before Gypsy was born, the couple separated when Rod realized he got married for the wrong reasons. Nonetheless, Gypsy Rose Blanchard was born July 27, 1991. Quickly after she was born, Dee Dee believed that Gypsy was sick and had multiple health issues. According to Rod, who remained involved with his daughter at this point, by the time Gypsy was three months old, 
Didi was convinced that Gypsy had sleep apnea and began taking her to the hospital, where repeated overnight stays with a sleep monitor and other tests found no sign of that condition. And when that condition was X'd out, Didi then became convinced that Gypsy had a wide range of other health issues, which she believed was because of an unspecified chromosomal disorder. As she grew up, Gypsy was told by her mother that she had muscular dystrophy, which is a progressive weakening of the muscles, and that she would need a walker. When she was around 7 or 8 years old, Gypsy was involved in a minor motorcycle accident with her grandfather, and in it, she had a minor knee abrasion, so almost like a really deep scrape of her knee, which you can still get around with, with crutches, probably. But one day, while Gypsy's just in her room, Dee Dee comes in with a wheelchair and tells her to sit in it. Gypsy doesn't understand why, as she can walk pretty much fine, but she gets in it, and she would be bound to this wheelchair for years. I'm 99% sure that this case is not new to anyone, so as we know, Gypsy Rose didn't really have any ailments or sicknesses, like her mother said. Rather, it was her mother who had a mental disorder, Munchausen by proxy. We all have a good gist of what Munchausen by proxy is by this point, but let's go into more detail. So Munchausen by proxy is a psychological disorder marked by attention-seeking behavior by a caregiver, often a mother, it's actually 95% of the time, it's the mother, they try to get attention through the person they're caring for by making up or exaggerating an illness. It also isn't always a child, it could be just like a caregiver taking care of someone elderly. But the typical characteristics of someone with this disorder is that they're a parent, a healthcare professional, which Dee Dee was, a nurse aide at some point, and they're very friendly and cooperative with medical staff, which she and Gypsy were. Doctors who saw the two frequently said that their behavior was very typical of a parent and a patient who had a lot of illnesses. They were just so happy and grateful that they were getting help. Other possible warning signs of Munchausen by proxy include the child having a history of many hospitalizations, often with a strange set of symptoms that don't really go together or make any sense. The worsening of a child's symptoms generally is reported by the parent, but is not witnessed by the hospital staff. The child's reported condition and symptoms do not agree with the results of tests. And the child's condition improves in the hospital, but symptoms recur when the child returns home. All of these symptoms and warning signs definitely describe Dee Dee, and Gypsy Rose has really become the poster child of Munchausen by proxy. I feel like that's why most of us know of this disorder, because of Gypsy's case. And Dee Dee was the ultimate master of her craft, of fooling people, of fooling doctors and charities, and putting Gypsy in a position to be the perfect victim. 
As a child, Gypsy seemed to have stopped going to school after the second grade, possibly even as early as kindergarten. Her mother decided to homeschool her after that, supposedly because her illnesses were too severe, so it might be too disruptive of taking her out of class and whatnot. But this was later believed to have been an attempt to isolate Gypsy to further her abuse. I'm not exactly sure how much she was homeschooled though, like if she was actually schooled at home or if it was just a way to pull her out of class, but apparently she managed to learn how to read on her own through the Harry Potter books. And this is such a random thought, but I feel like the Harry Potter books did so much more than just bring joy and imagination of the Harry Potter world to kids and adults. I feel like the Harry Potter books taught so many people how to read or how to learn English, just like how the show Friends taught a lot of people how to speak English as well. I feel like I've just heard Harry Potter and Friends come up in so many conversations when it comes to learning English or understanding it better. I just think it's amazing how these books and these shows or movies are so popular and big enough to be more than just entertainment. They are a way of educating people. But back to the story, so at some point, Gypsy's dad gets remarried and they are living with each other at this time, just trying to support Gypsy. But once he remarries, Dee Dee moves in with her father and stepmother. And her father and stepmother would later go on to say that when preparing food for her stepmother, Dee Dee poisoned it with Roundup Weed Killer leading to the stepmother's chronic illness during this time. And also while living with them, Dee Dee was arrested for several minor offenses, including writing bad checks. Dee Dee is something else. I haven't really found much information on her upbringing. It probably is out there somewhere, but there has to be a reason why she is so messed up. So there isn't really a known cause for Munchausen by proxy, like doctors don't know why people develop it or have it. But separate from that, Dee Dee just seems like an a-hole. Just stealing from her family, writing bad checks, just having no care for the rules of society, and just wanting everything to go her way. Either she is a sociopath, which I have never seen stated anywhere, or she got really fucked up somehow, or is just generally a fucked up person. So while Dee Dee and Gypsy were living with her father and stepmother, they saw that Dee Dee was treating Gypsy like crap. And they called Dee Dee out on her BS and constantly confronted her about her treatment of Gypsy and expressed suspicion about her role in her stepmother's sickness. And after being confronted enough, Dee Dee had it. And so she took Gypsy with her and they left for New Orleans and lived in the suburb of Slidell. And surprise, surprise, after they left, Dee Dee's stepmother's health went back to normal. I don't know why they didn't go to the police after this, after realizing that Dee Dee was poisoning her stepmother. I feel like the family relations were pretty strained, but I don't know, I'm getting this sense of family can be really shitty, but they're still family, so don't call the police on them. I don't know, it's pretty unfortunate because if they had, maybe some things wouldn't have happened, but 
who's to say, who's to judge, you know? So when they moved to Slidell, they lived in public housing. They paid their bills with Rod's child support payments and public assistance that Dee Dee received because of Gypsy's quote-unquote illnesses. So what are all of the illnesses that Dee Dee is claiming? We know that when Gypsy was a baby, Dee Dee thought she had sleep apnea, muscular dystrophy, some type of chromosomal disorder, and later on she was bound to a wheelchair. So they saw a ton of specialists, mostly at Tulane Medical Center and the Children's Hospital of New Orleans. So on the long list of medical conditions, Gypsy had hearing and vision problems. Tubes were implanted in her ears to control ear infections. She had to wear glasses. She had leukemia or some sort of cancer. They also did a muscle biopsy, which found no sign of the muscular dystrophy Dee Dee insisted Gypsy had. She also had a feeding tube implanted in her because her mother told doctors she wasn't getting enough calories because she had a fear of eating. Gypsy had this procedure done to her, right? And she didn't know why. She just did it at the time because she trusted her mother and knew nothing else. But Gypsy didn't know the reason why she got it until she did an interview in prison over the phone. And the interviewer told Gypsy this information because she was looking through her old medical records. On this recorded phone call, Gypsy was shocked by this information. She was like, what? No, I never had a fear of eating. Did my mother say that? There was such a big web of lies that there were still things that Gypsy didn't even know her mother said or did to her. I can't imagine how exhausting that would be to constantly be in all this information or to learn more information about yourself that you didn't even know about yourself or what was being done onto you. That is such a violation. So she had this feeding tube in her for years, even though she didn't need it. And a feeding tube is the perfect weapon in controlling a Munchausen by proxy victim because her feeding bag could easily be poisoned. Food could easily be taken away from her and controlled, which it was. In another famous case of Munchausen by proxy, Lacey Spears had a feeding tube implanted into her very young son and she had put so much sodium in his feeding bag that he died from it. Which is why Munchausen by proxy and feeding tubes can be so dangerous when in the wrong hands. So even though all of these ailments and illnesses were lies, Didi was very successful in securing treatments for Gypsy. For example, after she told doctors that Gypsy had seizures every few months, they prescribed anti-seizure medication for her. And this medication gave Gypsy an allergic reaction. And she had to take this medication regularly. And Dee Dee used this allergic reaction to her benefit. So she would take pictures of this allergic reaction and then tell doctors that this is what happened to Gypsy every single time she ate sugar. And Gypsy knew this wasn't right because she would eat candy bars from time to time and nothing would ever happen to her. But again, she's young. Her mother has been controlling her for her whole life. She's not really sure what is happening. 
Dee Dee also had Gypsy's saliva glands removed because she claimed that Gypsy had uncontrollable drooling. And to sell this ailment to the doctors, Gypsy later claimed that her mother induced drooling before appointments by using a topical anesthetic to numb her gums. And it only gets worse, the double whammy of having no saliva glands and the side effects of the anti-seizure medication made her front teeth rot and they had to be removed. So a lot of her adult teeth were pulled out because of these procedures. Several surgeries were also performed on Gypsy and Dee Dee regularly took Gypsy Rose to the emergency room for minor ailments. So I just listed so many things, so many physical procedures and surgeries that were done onto Gypsy, a completely healthy young girl. I mean, kudos to Dee Dee in her own mind, right? How was she able to secure all of these procedures onto a girl that was completely healthy? Like, how was she able to convince so many doctors that Gypsy was sick with all of these things? I mean, if we really think about it, it was just the perfect storm of things happening to get to this position. Other than Dee Dee being a master manipulator and having Munchausen by proxy, they together, Dee Dee and Gypsy, sold this image that just makes you want to believe almost that Gypsy had these ailments. I mean, I shouldn't say it makes you want to believe, it just made it more believable. Many people who met Gypsy thought she was adorable. She was 4 foot 11, she was bald, nearly toothless, but had a bright smile and smiled with her eyes. She had these large glasses and a very high childlike voice that reinforced this perception that she had all the problems her mother claimed she did. Dee Dee really knew how to make Gypsy look sick. I mean, if you look at photos of Gypsy from when she was under her mother's control, she looks like she would be an ad in St. Jude's. Like she looks like a sick child. Gypsy also had no hair because Dee Dee would regularly shave her head to mimic the hairless appearance of a chemotherapy patient. She would tell Gypsy that since her medication would eventually cause her hair to fall out, it was best to shave it in advance. So I think her looks along with her voice and her interests, which seemed to be a little bit too youthful for her age, according to the doctors. The doctors just believed it all. Other things that kind of sold this look of Gypsy being sick was that she wore wigs to cover up her baldness. When they left the house, Dee Dee often took an oxygen tank and feeding tube with her. Dee Dee was full-on cosplaying for Gypsy. Like, she just had all the information and all the supplies to really sell this image. So while living in Louisiana, their home was hit and destroyed by Hurricane Katrina. So they went to live in a rented home in Aurora, Missouri. During their time there, Gypsy was honored by the Olay Foundation, which advocates for the rights of feeding tube recipients as its 2007 Child of the Year. 
Then, next year in 2008, Habitat for Humanity built them a small home with a wheelchair ramp and hot tub as part of a larger project on the north side of Springfield. And so the two moved there. Now, their story got a lot of local media attention. It was the story of a single mother with a severely disabled daughter who were forced to flee Katrina's devastation. But they got the silver lining of Habitat for Humanity, building them a home so they can finally just live. So then the community started pitching in to help with Dee Dee and Gypsy. And actually, up until they moved to Springfield, Dee Dee was still going by Claudine, but she changed her name to Claudinia Blancharde, but was also known as Dee Dee. This part is just hilarious to me because she changed her name in like the most minimal way you could from Claudine to Claudinia and then from Blanchard to Blancharde. Like she added an E at the end of Blanchard. Like, girl, if you're trying to erase your past, you should probably just come up with a completely new name. Also, no one from Louisiana would be named Claudinia Blancharde. That sounds like the name of royalty or a name you would find in Harry Potter. It's either like really fancy or made up. So, so far in her Munchausen by proxy career, in a way, um, Dee Dee has really milked everything she could out of these charities and foundations. They had occasional stays in Ronald McDonald houses during medical appointments. In Missouri, they received free flights to see doctors at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. They got free trips to Walt Disney World and backstage passes to Miranda Lambert concerts via the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I mean, Dee Dee wanted the attention. She got the attention. Imagine if she redirected this energy into something good. She would be so powerful. She would be so good at what she did. So in terms of Gypsy's dad, at least compared to her mother, he doesn't seem to be a bad guy at all. He paid monthly child support payments of $1,200 and sent Gypsy gifts and occasionally talked to her on the phone. But these phone calls were not that fun and not that organic. During one of the calls, on her 18th birthday, Rod remembers Dee Dee telling him not to mention Gypsy's real age since she believed that she was 14, or she was told that she was 14. Dee Dee was also always present when Gypsy was talking to her dad on the phone, so she didn't really have the freedom to talk about everything that she wanted to. Because I'm sure if she had some privacy in talking to her dad, she would talk about how she thinks some things are really weird and that may have raised a flag. Rod and his second wife hoped to get to Springfield and visit Gypsy one day, but for a variety of reasons, Dee Dee changed plans every single time. But of course, what was really going on was that one, she wanted to isolate Gypsy because the less people around her she could trust, the easier it was to control her. And two, Dee Dee told her neighbors in Springfield that Gypsy's father was an abusive drug addict and alcoholic who had never come to terms with his daughter's health issues and never sent them any money. That is just so cruel because this man really wants to be in 
his daughter's life. And she is not letting that happen. There is definitely a lot wrong with her because not only did she have Munchausen by proxy, she was also very, very abusive. And I'm sure these things go hand in hand. Dee Dee used physical and of course psychological abuse to control her daughter. For example, she would hold Gypsy's hand in the presence of others. So when Gypsy said something that suggested she wasn't really sick or seemed to be way more intellectual than her mom made her out to be, her mother would squeeze her hand to basically tell her to shut your mouth. Then when the two were alone, Dee Dee struck her with her open hands or a coat hanger. In order to keep up with this ruse for as long as possible, Dee Dee had at least once forged a copy of Gypsy's birth certificate, changing her birth date to 1995 to keep up with the claim that Gypsy was still a teenager. This is why on one of those phone calls between Gypsy and her dad, Dee Dee told Rod to tell her or not to say that she was turning 18 and that she was really 14. And Gypsy, at the time, didn't really know her actual age. She said in an interview that for 14 years, she was unsure of how old she really was. Dee Dee also claimed that the original birth certificate was destroyed during the post-Katrina flooding. But Dee Dee actually did keep another copy of Gypsy's true birth date, which Gypsy remembered seeing during one of her hospital visits and got really confused because she thought she was a lot younger. And Dee Dee just brushed it off as a misprint. This is also another reason why it was kind of easy for Dee Dee to get all of these procedures done because she claimed that all of the medical records that she had of Gypsy were destroyed during Hurricane Katrina and they no longer had it. Just reading about all of this is making my head spin because I, I can't even remember all of the things that Dee Dee said, all of the lies that she has spun. I don't know how she's keeping track of all of this. It's like Dee Dee is working three full-time mental jobs in her brain to keep all of these lies up. I could never, I mean, I fold after one lie. I really can't even keep up with one lie. There was this one time, and I am so stupid for doing this, and this is going to make me sound super stupid, but whatever. So sometimes I can get really, really dry skin. I hate using lotion, and I still do hate using lotion. I have just like a weird sensory issue with my body being wet or moist. I just do not like it. So sometimes my skin can get really dry and peely, and one time... Like, I think in my early 20s or like in my late teens, I used like gritty sandpaper to try and exfoliate basically. Um, and I went too hard on my arm and I ended up getting this rash. And I didn't want anyone to know the truth because I didn't want to seem so dumb. Because if I heard that someone was trying to exfoliate their skin with sandpaper, I would think that that person has a very, very low IQ. And because this rash was big enough that people would ask, I came up with the story that I had just jumped into a pool and I got too close to the side and I scraped my arm. And that's why my arm was the way it was. And I remember telling my coworkers that story and 
they would bring it up sometimes and make jokes about it. And I'd be like, wait, what? What are you talking about? They're like, you're rash because you got it when you fell in the pool. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. Like, I could not keep up with that one lie. I kept on forgetting that that's what I told them. So yeah, for Didi to be able to keep up with all of this, it makes my head hurt. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So with all of these lies and all of these symptoms and illnesses not really matching up and there being no medical records, even when it comes to Gypsy having cancer and having cancer treatments done to her, you would think that at least one of these doctors would be suspicious of all of this. And there was one doctor, Dr. Bernardo Flasterstein, who was a pediatric neurologist who saw Gypsy in Springfield. He was very suspicious of her muscular dystrophy diagnosis, which she didn't have and it came back as her not having it. He ordered MRIs and blood tests, which no abnormalities ever showed, and she was perfectly fine. He even told Didi that he didn't see why Gypsy couldn't just walk. There was no reason for her to be in a wheelchair. He even saw her stand up and carry her own weight. Flasterstein, Flasterstein, I forgot how I said it, but he noted that Dee Dee was not a good medical record keeper. Surprise, surprise. So he reached out to Gypsy's doctors in New Orleans and he learned that her original muscle biopsy had come back negative, which goes against Dee Dee's report that Gypsy had muscular dystrophy and her claims that all the records had been destroyed by flooding. They were not destroyed, they still existed. Flasterstein suspected the possibility of Munchausen by proxy, but when he was just about to hone in on Dee Dee, she stopped taking Gypsy to see him. I mean, of course she did. She did not want to get caught and she was about to get caught. And the unfortunate thing is that Flasterstein did not follow up by reporting Dee Dee to social services. He said that other doctors told him to treat the pair with golden gloves and that other doctors doubted that the authorities would believe him anyway. And it really makes me question why other doctors would tell that to him, that the authorities would doubt him. And I guess this really just goes to show that Dee Dee and Gypsy just made this perfect image that made you want to believe them. Dee Dee always seemed cheerful, hopeful, and grateful, and Gypsy always had a smile on her face. And so I think they won the hearts of these other doctors, and that's why these doctors just wanted to treat Gypsy, because it just seemed so real. And this doctor, who is seen as a whistleblower, basically, is being frowned upon, is seen as the bad guy because he's trying to see through these two innocent people just trying to get help. And these things to me make 
this situation so complicated because there is this discussion and debate on doctors having to be responsible when these things happen. Doctors should be responsible when people are treated for something that they don't need to be treated for. And doctors need to be responsible for raising these red flags when they see it. And I totally believe that. Like at the end of the day, I feel like it is the responsibility of these doctors to say something if you see something, right? But this also goes to show that people's thoughts and opinions can really get to your head. It's happening with Didi and Gypsy. It's happening with these doctors to other doctors. They, we just get into each other's heads to the point where we really doubt ourselves. Even when we deny that people's words don't get to us, sometimes they do. Sometimes they really do. And unfortunately, sometimes these red flags do get raised, right? But they fall short and they don't really help. So in 2009, an anonymous caller told the police about Dee Dee's use of different names and birth dates for herself and her daughter and suggested that Gypsy Rose was in way better health than what was actually claimed. And the officers technically did something about it. They performed a wellness check. So they approached Dee Dee with this accusation, but Dee Dee, being the manipulator she is, has an explanation. So she basically tells them that yes, she did change her name and her birth dates of her and Gypsy, but she only did it because she wanted to make it harder for her abusive ex-husband to find them. And the officers just took her word for it without talking to Rod, the actual ex-husband. And when talking to Gypsy, they thought she was genuinely mental disabled. And so the file was closed. Again, just a perfect storm of things have to happen for this type of stuff to escalate to where it gets and to go on as long as it actually does. So Gypsy is still living this life with her mother, but she does gain some hobbies and some interests. Gypsy loved sci-fi and fantasy and actually attended several science fiction and fantasy conventions since 2001. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, even for the average person, people love that escape. And for her, someone who has had her life taken away from her, um, has only her imagination really to escape into. She also loved going to these conventions because people were in costume. So she could wear her wig and she could blend in. And it was just a diverse and inclusive community. So I'm sure you guys have heard of The Act, which is the show that is based off of Gypsy's case and story. I haven't really watched it myself because one, I don't have Hulu and two, I don't know why, but this show just feels too overwhelming for me. And so I'd rather just read about it than see this reenactment, even though I heard it was a great show and it did win some awards. And let me know if I'm wrong, but I think there was a scene in the show where they were at one of these conventions and Gypsy Rose, played by Joey King, thought about escaping and running away. And that is also what I read online, but I saw 
a interview with Gypsy when she was talking about this runaway situation. But according to her own words and her own story, it didn't happen that way. So I want to say it in the way that she did. But before we get into that, we are at the point where she is around 19, 20 years old. For almost a decade now, she has been living with the idea that she is really sick and has all these ailments and all she really knows is what her mother tells her. But by this point, she is starting to understand that some things don't make sense and some things aren't right. Being that she's older now, she has a way better understanding of what is being talked about at these doctor's appointments. Because even when she was younger and she heard things like she had cancer and she was allergic to sugar, she didn't feel it was right, but she didn't know any better. But now being older and wiser and being put into more social experiences and situations like a sci-fi convention, she's seeing that things aren't clicking. For example, she sees other people her age at these conventions and they're happy and they're hanging out with their friends without their mothers and she doesn't understand why she can't have the same thing. And seeing this freedom that other people her age have is intoxicating. Before, being with her mother was all she knew, but now that she sees this completely different world, she wants it. I mean, humans just want to thrive. Now that she knows that this is a possibility, she wants that. This kind of reminds me of the Turpin family case where Jordan Turpin was one of the kids and she got access to a phone and she saw a Justin Bieber music video and saw how kids were living, like saw kids her age or like, you know, even a little bit older than her living this beautiful life of hanging out with friends and just doing amazing adventures with each other. And after seeing that, she wanted it. She wanted it so badly. And just reading about these moments where these people are like, I want that. I want to live like that. And just reading about these moments where Gypsy and Jordan are seeing other people just socialize and be with friends and that's all they want in life, you learn so much about humanity in just those few sentences. People want to not only survive, they want to thrive as a human should. They want to socialize. They just want to have friends and feel loved. It literally breaks my heart to hear that. It makes you so grateful to just have the opportunity to be put in a social situation, even if you have like social anxiety and people scare you, maybe you hate people sometimes, unlike myself, I don't blame you, but you have that choice. So in that moment, I can empathize with Gypsy and Jordan of just wanting to be human. So with this epiphany that Gypsy has in 2011, when she was 20, she made a plan to run away. She waited for her mother to fall asleep, packed a small bag, and left their house. She met up with a friend at Mercy Hospital, which tells me that this friend is probably a friend that she made at the hospital who was also sick at some point, and ended up at his house. 
But she didn't get away for very long because Dee Dee found out she was missing just four hours after and found her. Gypsy was brought home and she remembers that Dee Dee smashed her computer with a hammer and threatened to do the same with her fingers if she ever tried to escape again. And as a punishment, Gypsy was leashed up and handcuffed to her bed for two weeks. I don't know how she could do that to her own daughter. How can she allow herself so much freedom but take that away from Gypsy? I know for all of us, you know, when we are in a default setting, we are the center of our own universes, right? That's totally normal because we are all we know of ourselves. But for Didi, she literally believes that she is the center of the universe, like for herself and for everybody, because everything that she is doing is for her with no regard, no empathy, no sympathy for anyone else around her. Everything is for her own gain and benefit. And if she doesn't get what she wants or someone goes against what she wants, she will not have it. She was definitely very, very insecure. And to gain even more control over Gypsy psychologically, Dee Dee later told her that she had filed paperwork with the police claiming that Gypsy was mentally incompetent, leading her to believe that even if Gypsy tried to go to the police for help, they wouldn't believe her. This kind of stuff really gets me angry and upset because this is teaching someone helplessness. Helplessness is one of those feelings that is almost as bad as loneliness. Like loneliness can affect your physical health. It can be so bad for you. Helplessness, at least to me, feels very similar in that it does something to you even physically. It makes you not fight in a fight or flight mode. It just makes you hide. It makes you defenseless. You learn to not protect yourself. And that could be as dangerous and as damaging. I think learned helplessness is the answer to the why when people ask, why did you stay with your abuser? Why did you let this person do this to you? Why didn't you go get help? Why didn't you ask for help? Why didn't you go to the police? And helplessness is enough for you to not protect yourself. It is a learned strong behavior. So fast forward to the next year, Gypsy has access to the internet again, but she would only use it at night after her mother went to sleep. As they say, strict parents breed sneaky kids, so she was going to do it regardless of Dee Dee trying to keep it away from her. And as a young adult, she's looking for love. She's 20, She's never had a romantic relationship. I'm sure she's seen it in the movies and read it in the books. And she wants love for herself. So where does a young girl in her early 20s in the 21st century go to find love? I forgot to add also religious. She went on christiandatingforfree.com. And I know she, you know, didn't know any better, but... Just from that website name, I have to say, there are probably a lot of slim pickings on that website. Nonetheless, she finds her first ever boyfriend on this website, Nicholas Godijan. 
He was a man around her age from Big Bend, Wisconsin. The thing about Godijan was he had a criminal record for indecent exposure, and he also had a history of mental illness. Some said that he had dissociative identity disorder, and he also had Asperger syndrome. They started their relationship in October of 2012. This online relationship actually lasted a very long time. So the next year in September 2013, Gypsy arranged and paid for Godijan to meet her mother in Springfield. This whole time though, Didi has no idea that they have this relationship because she wouldn't even allow for it. But Gypsy was very hopeful that if she devised a plan, that maybe Dee Dee would accept Godijan and let her date him. So her plan was for him to just casually bump into them while they were at the movie theater and organically strike up this relationship and that way she could easily introduce him to her mother. But that didn't go well at all. It went horribly wrong. Dee Dee did not like this guy and thought he was weird because when they were in the movie theater, there weren't a lot of people, yet he sat so close to them. But separate from that, Gypsy was able to get away from her mother in the movie theater for a little bit, and she and Godijan went to the men's bathroom and had sex. And that was the first time she ever had sex. Not the most romantic, but what is a girl to do? I actually kind of feel bad for her that this information is disclosed because I'm not gonna lie, if this came out about me, I would feel kind of embarrassed. But again, as two young lovers, they had to do what they had to do. No shame about it. But anyway, the plan failed. Dee Dee did not like this guy and she told Gypsy straight up she was never going to be allowed to date anyone. This next part is so sickening to me but Gypsy remembered having a heated argument with her mother about dating and Dee Dee placed a curse or a hex on her by taking a picture of Gypsy and Godijan. I don't know where she got this picture. I don't know how much information she had about this relationship at this point, but she took those pictures and put them in a jar along with a cow's tongue and some of Gypsy's period blood and buried it in the backyard and told Gypsy something along the lines of, she will never be loved and she will never find happiness now that this curse has been set. And in this interview, while Gypsy is recalling this memory, she starts to break down in the interview and I just feel so bad for her. Honestly, like I saw myself in Gypsy because I have one of those stories, I'm sure, a lot of us do where something was said to us that just broke us permanently on the inside and it hurts that it has affected you in such a way. I mean, not only is Dee Dee fucked up in so many ways, she's also batshit crazy. I'm sorry, a hex where you got a cow's tongue and you took your daughter's menstrual blood and you put it in a jar? That is taking manipulation to a whole other level. Oh my goodness. Regardless of all of this though, Gypsy still has her relationship with Godijan. 
They are two years into their relationship now, and in 2014, Gypsy confided in her 23-year-old neighbor, Aaliyah Woodmancy, that she and Godajan had talked about eloping and had even chosen names for their potential children. And an interesting thing is, Aaliyah thought that she was like the big sister of Gypsy, but really, they were actually pretty close in age because Gypsy was... I think around 23 at this time as well. Gypsy's relationship with Godajan, even online, was a very sexual one. And I think a lot of this was brought on by Godajan. They would flirt with each other, and sometimes that included BDSM elements. At some point, he would call himself master, and she was his slave. Which, I mean, honestly, I'm not gonna kink shame do what you got to do, but like in this case, in this actual legal case, that didn't go very well for Godajan because that was mostly his idea. That was mostly his thing that he was into and Gypsy did it just to please him basically. So Gypsy talked to her neighbor about this and Aaliyah wanted to talk her out of it because she felt like Gypsy was way too young to be doing something like this and she was potentially talking to an older sexual predator. At the same time, Aaliyah thought that Gypsy was a teenager, that she was way younger than she actually was. But Aaliyah did keep this secret for her because she just believed that these talks and plans were just fantasies and dreams and nothing would ever actually take place. So the two fell hard in love with each other to the point where they talked about getting married and even having kids. They had gone so far in planning that Gypsy actually started stealing baby clothes from Walmart in order to prepare for their new life together. And even though they planned for this long extended future together, Gypsy knew that they would never be able to be together as long as Dee Dee was around. And around this time, her home life was getting a lot worse, if that's even possible. Her mother was starting to hit her more and starve her more and there were more punishments. And having a taste or visual of what freedom looks like, Gypsy was feeling desperate to get out of the grasp of her mother. So Gypsy and Godajan had concocted three potential plans for Gypsy to escape slash be with Godajan. Plan A had already failed. It was the plan to meet up at the theater and have Dee Dee meet Godajan, and maybe she just let them date. But that went horribly wrong, so that was crossed out. Plan B was to get pregnant, and that way Godajan had to be in her life. But Godajan lived in Wisconsin with his mother and little sibling, and his mother told him no which is a very weird situation to be in because they're adults, but his mom told him that he's not allowed to have a child. So I feel like he really didn't have the capacity, you know, to be involved in this whole thing. And so they went to plan C, which was to kill Dee Dee. So go to John returned to Springfield in June, 2015. He arrived when Gypsy and Didi were away at a doctor's appointment. After they got home, Didi had gone to sleep and Godajan went over to their house. 
Gypsy let him in and allegedly gave him duct tape, gloves, and a knife with the understanding that he would be the one murdering Dee Dee. So Goto John was absolutely for this game plan. He was ready to do it. He wanted to be with Gypsy and he was going to do anything to be with her. So Gypsy went into the bathroom and covered her ears so that she wouldn't have to hear her mother screaming. Gypsy also said that she's very squeamish and doesn't like the sight of blood, ironically, and so she couldn't be in the room. Then Gota John went on to stab Dee Dee 17 times in the back while she was asleep. After that was complete chaos to me and some very questionable things went down. They had sex in Gypsy's room while Dee Dee's dead body was in the other room. And they also got onto Dee Dee's Facebook. There, Gypsy left a post saying, the bitch is dead. And another comment along the lines of, raped her sweet innocent daughter, her laugh was so loud. According to Gypsy, she wanted her mother's body to be found and this concerning post would do just that. They then took $5,000 in cash that Dee Dee had been keeping in the house, mostly from child support checks, and they fled. So the thought of killing her mother had started a year before it actually happened. And Gypsy went back and forth for a little bit. I think two weeks before it was supposed to happen, she wanted out. But then, two days before Dee Dee was murdered, they got into a huge fight. And that refueling of that fire made her go back on track. So pretty quickly after Dee Dee was murdered and this post went up on Facebook, people got really concerned. Some of Dee Dee's friends called her and they went unanswered. And so some of her friends and neighbors went to their house. Now they knew that sometimes Dee Dee and Gypsy would just randomly go on medical trips unannounced, not telling anybody. But Dee Dee's car was still in the driveway and the house was just quiet. They couldn't really see into the house because there was a protective film on the windows. No one was answering the door. And so they called 911. When the police arrived, they had to wait for a search warrant to be issued before they could enter. So they allowed one of the neighbors to climb into one of the windows. And when he was inside, everything looked normal. There wasn't anything stolen. It didn't look like a robbery. But Gypsy's wheelchairs were still there. And technically, she should be in one. So when the police finally got the search warrant, they entered the house and they found Dee Dee's body. And the initial consensus was that Dee Dee was murdered and Gypsy was kidnapped slash missing. This hit the community super hard and they set up a GoFundMe account to pay for her funeral expenses and possibly Gypsy Roses. And their friends really feared the worst for Gypsy because her mother was dead. And even if Gypsy was still alive somewhere, they believed she was helpless without her wheelchair, medications, support equipment like her oxygen tanks and feeding tube. So they were scared for her. At this point, the neighbor, Aaliyah, told the police about the information she knew. She told them about 
Gypsy's secret boyfriend and how she had all these printouts of their conversations and it included his name on there. Based on that information, police asked Facebook to trace the IP address from which the posts to Didi's account had been made. It turned out to be in Wisconsin. And the next day, police agencies in Waukesha County raided the Go to John's home. As for Gypsy and Go to John, they fled to a motel outside of Springfield, where they stayed for a few days while planning their next move. During this time, they went to different establishments like Waffle House, Walmart, a gas station, and they were seen on security cameras at several stores. And Gypsy, not really knowing how the world works at this point, thought that they had gotten away with the crime and that they were good to go. She thought they were just going to live forever at go to John's mom's house and that she was just going to be seen as a missing person who was never found and she was just going to secretly live forever in their home. As for the murder weapon, they actually mailed it back to go to John's house in Wisconsin to avoid being caught with it. They then went to Wisconsin and traveled by Greyhound bus and they were seen by several witnesses at the Greyhound station and Gypsy was wearing a blonde wig and was walking unassisted without a wheelchair, which must have baffled so much of the community. But their little flea wouldn't last very long because Go to John and Gypsy were found and they surrendered and were taken into custody on charges of murder and felony armed criminal action. And the news that Gypsy was safe was greeted with relief in Springfield. But as things started to unravel, people saw that things were not as they appeared to be. The media in Springfield soon reported the truth about the Blanchard family. What Dee Dee tried to cover up, that Gypsy had never been sick and had always been able to walk, but her mother made her pretend otherwise using physical abuse to control her. And so the county chief was like, hey, do not donate money to this family quite yet. We're still investigating. We don't know how much of this is fraudulent. And once the trial came for Gypsy, all the lies, all the fraud was laid out. I mean, this shocked the town and everyone the Blanchards knew but some of her family did suspect something was going on and had tried to address it earlier. Even one of Gypsy's cousins, when he found out that Dee Dee had been murdered, he just thought, oh, Dee Dee really pissed off somebody. Like, the Blanchard family knew about Dee Dee. They really knew who she was. So all in all, they really didn't like Dee Dee. Her family did not like Dee Dee, and so none of them would pay for her funeral. And her father and stepmother actually flushed her ashes down the toilet. Her own father. That says so much about Dee Dee. They even said that Dee Dee deserved her fate. That she deserved to die, basically. And that Gypsy had already been punished as much as she needed to be under the control of her mother. As for the public, when they found out what was going on... The view of who was the victim was immediately shifted to Gypsy as the abuse was just downright crazy. 
there is no arguing in this whole case, no matter if you are on Gypsy's side or not, that the abuse she went through was absolutely insane for anyone to handle. I mean, up until the point of her arrest, Gypsy was so malnourished, even as a woman in her early 20s, that she gained 14 pounds while in county jail, while others typically lose weight. That also says a lot. So during her trial, lawyers tried to bring up the fact that she knew that she wasn't really sick at the end of it. Like she knew what her mom was doing. And so they asked her if she knew that she wasn't sick, that she didn't need to be in a wheelchair why didn't she just tell the doctors? And Gypsy explained that at that point, she didn't think any of the doctors would believe her and that the doctors would probably just tell her mother and it would make her home life way worse. She feared her mother more than anyone else. And as she's talking, she's talking so genuinely because this is her life. She has nothing to lie about. And as Gypsy divulges more information about what she went through, it is so obvious that this was going to be a very complicated case. It wasn't just that this person wanted someone dead because of something petty. There is so much history and emotional, physical, and medical abuse to look over. It was so incredible, her case, that the county prosecutor, Dan Patterson, called the case extraordinary and unusual, and he decided to not seek a first-degree murder charge against Gypsy, which basically means she was not going to get life in prison because of this. Then, in July 2016, Gypsy pled guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. As for Gota John, his case was pretty different. While no one was arguing whether Gota John killed Didi because he was the one who killed her and he admitted to that, his attorneys had argued that he was manipulated by Gypsy to kill her mom and should have his charges reduced to second degree murder as well. But days later, Gota John was found guilty of first degree murder. He was given less sympathy than Gypsy because even though he murdered Dee Dee to be with Gypsy and Gypsy definitely manipulated him into doing it, he didn't experience the same abuse that Gypsy did. So in the mind of the jury, Gypsy's life had reasonably boiled up to that moment, but for Godajan, it didn't. So to them, he was just technically a person that was willing to kill another person. He was also found guilty of armed criminal action. So Godajan was sentenced to life imprisonment and he is serving that at Missouri's Potosi Correctional Center. Gypsy went to prison at Missouri's Chillicothe Correctional Center. I'm most likely saying that wrong. And in an interview... Gypsy said that her happiest moment, her happiest memory, was when she just got to prison. She went into the yard and sat at a picnic table and thought, I'm finally free. She said herself, I feel like I'm more free in prison than with living with my mom. Because now I'm allowed to just live like a normal woman. That speaks numbers 
to what she went through. The fact that this woman said that when she got to prison, she was free. And if any of us went to prison, we would say the exact opposite. And while she was in prison, she researched Munchausen by proxy because she knew that her mother had that. And she realized her mother had every single symptom that had been listed. She even said that she thinks her mother would have been a great mom to someone who was actually sick, which I feel like is kind of sweet of her to say because she saw that endearingness in her mother, but it was just in a very sick, twisted way. So Gypsy did her time and closer to the end of it, she married Ryan Scott Anderson on June 27th, 2022. This is the man that you are seeing now in pictures and videos and podcasts, whatever, right next to Gypsy. And this is the man that everyone is saying looks exactly like Dee Dee. And I'm not going to lie, I see the resemblance as well, especially in that one picture where their faces are angled in the same exact way and they have the same face shape, they have the same nose, they have the same smile. It's pretty eerie. And I'm not saying that this is the case, but I wouldn't be surprised if she ended up choosing a partner that reminded her of the one person she had no choice in trusting for most of her life. Ryan is a teacher from Louisiana, and he initially reached out to her as a pact with a coworker of his. So his coworker had said that she wanted to reach out to Joe Exotic from Tiger King for who knows what reason. And he basically said, look, if you write a letter to Joe Exotic, I will write a letter to Gypsy. And so he did, and now they're married. So they got married while she was in prison. And then on September 29th, 2023, the Missouri Department of Corrections confirmed that Gypsy had been granted parole and she was going to be released on December 28, 2023 after serving 85% of her sentence per state law. And if you're on TikTok or I don't know where else, I probably any platform at that point, that was a big day for the internet. I mean, all of these videos were coming out about being on Gypsy's side. People were talking about being at those prison doors ready to pick her up and whatnot. I may have partaken in that trend as well. And people were happy for her. They were absolutely ecstatic that this woman who had been treated so poorly and abused her whole life was finally getting a taste of true freedom as we know it. After she got out, she spent time with her dad, stepmom, and sister, which I had no idea she had a sister, but I believe it's a half-sister, and she may have a half-brother as well. She also got right to work. As we all have been seeing, she's been doing PR for her new show, The Prison Confessions of Gypsy Rose Blanchard, which I believe is on Lifetime and maybe Hulu. She's on social media. She's a social media star now. She's been on some talk shows and even some podcasts like Going Deeper and Vile Files. And so this is when people started to get divided online. They were probably always divided because, you know, 
I don't think people have done as much research as I have for her case for this podcast or even before because I did cover it on TikTok. But people were already divided because some people think she's a murderer and other people think she's just a complete victim. But now that she's out and she's kind of just freely talking about what she went through, what her situation is, and it's seemingly unfiltered like she didn't have media training, at least that's what people are saying. And so I feel like the more she is talking and sharing, the less people are on her side. I've seen videos of people saying, I was so down for Gypsy when she got out and now I'm on the side of not rooting for her and things like that. People are re-evaluating her case as if it's not kind of said and done and saying, well, even though she was a victim, she manipulated this man to kill someone for her. And the thing for me is that, yeah, I believe that's accurate. She did manipulate this person into killing her mother, but there was also a major reason why she had to use manipulation in a way, sure, to have this done. I'm not saying this is okay, of course, but this is humanity at the same time. And this is a human at the end of the day wanting to thrive and she was not thriving for most of her life. But let's feed into this idea a little bit more. According to her family and some other people who have interacted with her, Gypsy has exhibited at times the same sociopathic manipulative, manipula I hate that word. <laughs> Let me try again. Sociopathic manipulative behaviors that her mother had. They're also saying that at this point, she is already psychologically compromised. Basically that she had been around her mother way too long in these developmental stages of her life that this is how her mind is going to work. But again, I don't see that how that is a fault of hers when her mother did such a good job of isolating her from trusting or knowing any other human being. Of course, if all she knew was her mother, who was this mentally ill person who was super manipulative, I mean, what do you expect of her to learn? People expect superhuman abilities from other people. Like, I, I get it. You know, we've all been through things and it is our own jobs to make sure that we don't repeat certain things. But listen, certain things get ingrained in us that we don't like about ourselves. I can definitely say that about myself. Like, I grew up in a very harsh and blunt, tough love family and I have been trying to chip away at that so freaking hard. But let me tell you, it's hardwired. And it's still hard for me to not be so tough love these days. So I don't blame her for learning what was taught to her, basically. And it's especially ingrained in her when her mother acted manipulative and got so much out of it. Got so much positive things out of it. So of course it's ingrained in her. I honestly don't blame Gypsy for using what she learned to get her way to freedom, which was maybe manipulate her ex into murdering her mother. Again, it's super complicated, not saying that was okay. And I don't blame her if she has a hard time letting go of that in her adult life. 
because it's something that she's going to have to unlearn and is really hard to unlearn. And not only that, right? Gypsy was in prison. Gypsy, after the life she had with her mother, she went directly to prison, which is also not the most normal way of living to us, right? So in prison, she must have learned to live in a way to not get beat up and to get the things that she wanted in prison. So literally, people, what do you expect from this human being that you don't even expect from yourself? And here's another thing. Some research shows that a child who survives abuse inflicted by a parent with Munchausen by proxy may repeat that abuse on his or her own children later in life. One possible reason is that children may learn that positive attention can be gained when they or someone close to them is sick. Unfortunately, you know, Gypsy is not exempt of that. So the hope here is that Gypsy goes out into the real world with her family, with strangers, and learns how to be a part of society. And hopefully the love from her family and the love from the people around her is going to help shape her mind in a better way, a way better way than her mother ever could have. She's just like one of us. Regardless of her situation, which was way more intense than what most of us have gone through, she's learning a lot of this stuff a lot later in life, and it's way more public. And that's why I give her the benefit of the doubt. Listen, if I'm wrong and she ends up doing something later on, I mean, I'll take the hit for that. But again, if it does, my understanding is that, unfortunately, history sometimes repeats itself. So this is where I stand on Gypsy Rose. I don't think she's canceled. I keep on seeing videos about her being canceled and I think it's just clickbait. I am super fascinated by Gypsy's case because... To me, it's a clear case of humanity and seeing what humanity is. Gypsy is this naturally born, lighthearted person who just wanted the best in life and to be happy. But she was met with a very cruel person in life, which we all do. You know, we are surrounded by good and bad people. She lived in the realm of the walls and the world that her mother made for her. It was all that she knew, but when she realized there was way more to life than what her mother was showing her, her as a human wanted to no longer just survive, she wanted to thrive, which is innately what humans want to do. We all want to thrive and make the best of a situation. Then as a human, she had to make a decision on whether she was going to be dead and alive at the same time under her mother's control or if she was going to thrive and she chose to thrive even if that meant doing something horrendous that she would have never done otherwise i don't think she was a natural born murderer she didn't even murder her mother and that also shows the human condition that someone that would have never been a murderer could be made to do something so horrible because of the condition that they live in she chose herself in the end because she wanted the best life for herself that didn't mean she didn't want that for her mother either she just felt with what she knew and what she was told 
that there was no other way. It was either going to be her or her mother. And even through all that, she feels regret for doing what she did to her mother, but she knows that she still doesn't want to waste this life. She still wants an opportunity to be happy, an opportunity to have the life that all of us deserve. And I think a lot of people have a problem with seeing that. I think once she got out of prison, people already had an expectation of how they thought Gypsy should be acting. She should just have been acting like this victim who was hurt by her mother, still completely traumatized, and is just so grateful to be outside of the prison walls. They just wanted this quiet girl who was a victim, and that may have been the only way people could see her as deserving of getting out after what she did. But Gypsy came out and, you know, is trying to retell her story and is joking around and is acting like she has a completely normal life where she's allowed to have her own opinions and she's allowed to gossip and she's allowed to dislike things. And people don't like that because they're like, wait, you're not really one of us because you went through something horrendous and it was kind of your fault. Maybe you should just shut up and be grateful that you're out. And I think that is so unfair and so unempathetic of people. Just let the girl live and let her make her damn mistakes. She's going to make mistakes, just like all of us do. I just really dislike when people think that they're putting themselves in other people's shoes when they're still wearing their own shoes, just putting themselves in someone's situation and being like, well, if I were in your position, I would have done this. These are the same people who are like, why didn't you just go to the police? Why didn't you leave your abusive partner? Blah, blah, blah. If it were that easy, it would have happened. We would see that stuff happen way more often. But it doesn't. And we should question why it doesn't. But that is pretty much it. That is where I stand on Gypsy Rose. I don't think she's canceled. I think she is a human being learning things later in life and we should just let her do her thing and I'm happy she's out and I hope she has the best life that she always deserved. Whew, I swear I've been so fired up with some of the commentary I've been seeing about this case or about Gypsy lately and it's just like damn we're all human and she had the worst of it. Humans, humans will talk, humans will gossip, that's our thing. I'm just glad that Gypsy has a family that's looking out for her and know how horrible Dee, Dee was. So they are on her side, 100%. But let's move on to cookies and crime trivia. Starting off with cookies. So I ate a macaron, and this is not gonna be the last macaron I have on this podcast because damn, that was delicious. But the macaron sometimes gets confused with the macaroon, mostly because macaron is a French word. And so macaroon is very close to it and that's what we say but what is the difference between a macaron and a macaroon i'll give you 10 seconds to think about this one all right so a macaron which i feel so annoying saying it that way is a french cookie it's two cookies made of almond flour and powdered sugar that are sandwiched together and there's some buttercream inside. A macaroon is a drop cookie, which basically means that 
I actually don't know what a drop cookie means, but I think that it means that there's not really any baking or spreading, but a macaroon is made of shredded coconut. So they are very different from each other. So make sure you know the difference between macaron and macaroon if you want to seem educated, the more you know. So now on to the true crime trivia. Let's talk about Munchausen by proxy. So thankfully, Gypsy didn't die at the hands of her mother who had Munchausen by proxy. But unfortunately, some kids and elderly people do. So what is the mortality rate of children who are affected by an adult with Munchausen by proxy? Is it A, 3%, B, 9%, C, 15%, or D, 30%? I'll give you five seconds. And the answer is B, 9%. So this is kind of hard to quantify because sometimes Munchausen by proxy goes unnoticed. So it actually does range a little bit, but the website I'm looking at is 9%. And the crazy thing is, is that some victims of Munchausen by proxy sometimes have more than 100 surgeries done to them, unnecessary surgeries done to them. So even though Munchausen by proxy only affects less than 1% of the population, it could be so devastating. So again, just goes to show how complex Gypsy's case was and how lucky she is to be alive and how it's so reasonable that she thought she could die at the hands of her mother. But that is it for this episode. I hope you learned a lot to feel your fires and debate when it comes to someone who is against Gypsy because this woman should be just allowed to live. If you enjoyed this episode or cookies and crime in general, make sure to follow, make sure to subscribe so that you could be one of the first people to listen to the latest episodes when they come out. Make sure to follow me on my socials, Cookies and Crime Official on TikTok and Instagram. You can also check out cookies-and-crime.com for merch. Hope you are having a great new year and I will talk to you guys next time. Stay safe out there.